Pastor Podcast. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. This is a very special episode. We're out of Copperhead Studios and we're actually on the campus of Lindsey Wilson College. So thank you for joining us today and tuning in. My name is Taylor. I'm Matt. It's good to be back at our alma mater today, Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. And we're not in class today, which is the best part. Absolutely. That's yeah. the best thing about being back at Lindsey Wilson is not having to go to class. <laughs> yeah. And so not only are we at Lindsey, but we also have a very special guest with us today. But before we get there, I want to turn it over to Matt for some very important information. Okay. So real quick, uh, some plugs for our social media accounts. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. If you search Woke Pastors, like us on Facebook. We'll uh, share updates and whatnot there. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Our handles are at Woke Pastors. And if you're looking for Woke Pastors swag, things like that, the place to go is etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Woke Pastors. And also be sure to check out our website, WokePastors.com, which is the main place to go if you're looking for news, updates, blog posts, podcasts, um, any kind of material that we're putting out, that is, uh, that's the first place it's going to end up. So if you're looking to stay in the loop, that's the main place to be. Um, but like Taylor mentioned, uh, we're here today with a very special guest, a uh, professor that he and I uh, learned under here at Lindsey Wilson College, very influential in both of our lives, uh, Dr. David Calhoun, um, who's a professor of religion here at Lindsey Wilson College. He's the head of the uh, missional leadership track of the Christian ministries major. Um so uh, re- real quick, Dr. Calhoun, could you just tell us a little bit about that and about what you do here at Lindsay? Well, I, I came here in 2012. That uh, was when I started full-time. Before that, I'd been a pastor in the Kentucky Annual Conference, the Methodist Church, uh, since 1985. I know that's a shock to you guys, but it's, <laughs> it's been that long. Uh, but I came here to Lindsay, uh, really felt the call of God, uh, never really saw myself as a professor, didn't think that was the direction I would go. Loved uh, pastoring, loved planting the church that I did in Lexington and uh, Hope Springs Church. And so I could have stayed there forever. Um, but God had a different plan. And, and, and that plan was to come here and be engaged with the next generation of mm. Christian leaders. Guys like you. And I just now learned you don't, you didn't like going to class, which is quite, <laughs> kind of it disturbing. Wasn't, it wasn't your kind class. Kind of disturbing. No, oh, not okay. your class. All right. Yeah, okay, right. Well, we'll just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, that's why I'm here. Yeah, awesome. Um, so uh, before before we get into into um, to uh, today's discussion, I heard there was a question that you had just about our uh, podcast, what we're doing in general. So you want to well, share that with us? Not just a question. This is the question. The question. I mean, we may not get beyond this question, <laughs> but I just really have to know what is a woke pastor anyway. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm going on this broadcast, I'm laying my life down here, you know, before you guys, and I have no idea what I'm joining, you know, what, what kind of cult is this? I mean, what, what is a woke pastor? Um, well, you know, that that's something a lot of people have been asking, so it's prob- probably not a bad idea for us to talk a little bit about uh, 
um, how our name came about. Um, and uh, really, I would say to be woke is, uh, if you've seen The Matrix, it's taking the red pill. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, be it's being aware of what what's going on in the world around you, and so we want to be pastors that aren't na- that aren't naive, that aren't um, unaware of the things that are going going on around us in society, in the church, whatever. We don't want to um, be in a little safe Christian bubble. You know, we we want to be we want to be aware, we want to be woke, and uh, yeah, so that we can better engage the culture um, with the gospel. Um, in that way. Well, that's, that's, that's good to hear. In fact, that sounds very on fleek to me, (laughs) which, uh, that's the only phrase I remember from the days of you guys trying to teach me how to speak more. Okay. Uh, I've tried, but I just can't get fluent in the millennial language, but, uh, I do have that one on fleek. Taylor is now I've got another one. I'm woke. I'm, I'm not even sure if on fleek is still on fleek. I'm not sure either, but also the other day I was watching a movie. It was the new Jumanji movie, and this kid had been stuck in the game since the 90s, and I talked just like he did. And so I'm not not sure if I'm one to speak to millennial language or not. I think I'm behind the times as well. Okay, well, I'm glad we got those important matters out of the way. Right, right. So, um... Uh, you you recently uh, approached us about publishing a blog post that you'd been working on. Um, it's one that you actually talked about writing uh, while we were here. I remember a couple times, and so we were really excited about that. And I'm pl- I'm pleased to announce to those of you listening, it was far easier to get Dr. Calhoun to turn in a paper to us than it was ever for him um, him to get us to turn in a paper to him. We usually <laughs> we we sometimes gave him a hard time with deadlines and things like that, but. Um, uh, he was very prompt, very professional. Um, but, uh, you know, your article is titled, Why Why I Stopped Praying for the Renewal of My Denomination. Um, you know, which is a, that's a pretty heavy title. You know, there's a lot going on there. And uh, so let's, let's just unpack that a little bit. Tell us about that article. Tell us what inspired that. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and it does sound heavy and, and, in fact, is meant to provide a little shock value. You know, uh, why did I stop praying? for the renewal of my denomination. And it was very much a conscious and deliberate decision I made about 25 years ago, uh, almost 25 years ago. And um, and the reason is, it, it, there's a multifaceted um, explanation for this, but first of all, just denominationally speaking, I'm a lifelong Methodist. You know, the first 11 years of my life, uh, uh, my family belonged to the Methodist Episcopal Church uh, and then we hung around and, and went through the transition to the United Methodist Church that formed in 1968. At least I think that's how it happened. My family really wasn't that uh, active in church. Uh, we were sort of, uh, what you guys have heard me talk about in class, we fell into that category called the congregational Christians. Mm. You know, we were semi-regular attenders, um, but really not engaged in, right. in what the church was doing or the mission of the church. Um of course, that all changed in my freshman year of high school when I came to know Christ and, and committed my life to be a follower of Christ. And uh, from that point on, it was just, you know, I was, like I said, I was fully engaged in being Methodist. You know, I became the youth pastor at uh, my home church in Madisonville, Kentucky, First United Methodist. Went to Kentucky Wesleyan College, a four-year liberal arts Methodist school. Uh, went on to seminary, um, took appointment as a student appointment in 1985 while I was attending Asbury Seminary, 
started my pastoral career from 1985 to 2015, served in a variety of settings. Mm. Uh, I was always kind of the renewer. You know, I was always engaged in these renewal movements that we had, lay witness missions and the Walk to Emmaus and Aldersgate Renewal Ministries, Confessing Movement. I mean, all of that really resonated with me, yeah. uh, with my, um, uh, my biblical, uh, orthodox Christian faith. And uh, for me, um, you know, our, our Wesleyan heritage is that the Bible is our authority in, in all matters of faith and practice. You know, that, that Scripture is primary. You know, John Wesley said, I'm a man of one book, but above all, give me that book mm. uh, and talking about the Scripture. And I've been a student of Scripture for 45 years. And so, so it really resonates with me, those renewal movements. How can we renew our denomination? It was 1994. Uh, I was pastoring real close to here at First United Methodist Church in Russell Springs, Kentucky. Um, and, and there was a, the controversy of the month, you might say, <laughs> theologically. Uh, there was a, a conference called the Reimagining Conference that included some pretty disturbing theological trends um, that uh, the United Methodist women were involved with, along with other denominations. And, and so I, I go into full-bore full bore renewal mode. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to mobilize our church, you know, to really be on the front lines of coming out against this heresy and, and all <laughs> And in the process of that, I just had a moment of clarity. In fact, it was during a scheduled time of prayer, you know, to pray for the renewal of our denomination. And uh, as I was praying, I just really felt like God said, stop it. Just stop. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And that kind of took me back for a moment, you know, like, what, what do you mean stop? You know, this is a big deal. And, and then I really sensed in my spirit, I mean, it wasn't an audible voice or anything, but in my spirit, I sensed uh, this clarity from God saying, why do you think it would be on my agenda before the kingdom comes to renew any denomination? Mm. I mean, we have, depending on who you talk to, there are hundreds, maybe even thousands of denominations right here in the United States of America. Yeah. And and so God was like, why do you think I would pick one to be the the vehicle for revival, Mm. to to bring an awakening, you know, to to the land? Why, Why would I choose a denomination? And so just stop. Instead... Pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Wow. You know, and so that became sort of my prayer focus was, you know, God in our nation, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Mm -hmm. In our world, in my community, in my neighborhood, in my family, you know, in my life, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Yeah. And for my denomination, sure. You know, it's not that I've quit praying for Methodists or not are or, or quit are or given up the mission of the church. It's just I don't see that it's on God's agenda to preserve an institution necessarily. Yeah. Especially one that for all intents and purposes has been broken and divided for a really long time. Hmm. And uh, I just I just felt at that time and, and also for me it was a matter of priority and a matter of focus that I could I know how much energy I could expend on trying to renew it. Yeah. You know? Uh, when that's not really the call of God on my life. The call of God on my life is to make disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
And so I uh, just kind of had to have a moment of, of clarity and inventory and decision at that point. Yeah. So that's kind of the basis for my decision. Um, I've still been Methodist ever since. Uh, people ask me sometimes, why are you Methodist? And I go, well, that's where God found me. You know, uh, yeah, and, uh, and that's that's where I am. Okay. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. So, you know, after that um, kind of explanation of it, I think it was it, I hadn't realized the the element of replacement instead of just stopping praying. And so, what are some of the the high points of your article? You say like where that replacement kind of meets, where the rubber meets the road, kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well. I, th- I think we're, we've lost our focus. You know, if so much time and energy and, and money is being spent on trying to preserve something that's broken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think we've reached a point where there are irreconcilable differences. How we view scripture. How we uh, determine uh, what it means to live in covenant with one another. Yeah. I mean, th- those kind of things are, are gone. And, uh, and I don't know that any, any of the plans that have been offered or discussed you know, don't seem to me like they're really addressing uh, the real issue. And the real issue is how can we be a mission, a missional force in this world? How can we as, as God's people engage in the mission of God uh, minus the distractions, minus the disobedience, minus the confusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me, and this is a phrase I've used before, that we're trying to institutionalize the division, mm-hmm. you know, rather than engage in the mission. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's frustrating to me to watch and to wait and to hear, and you know, when I really want to get on with the mission. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Matt and I are fairly new Methodists, but. You mentioning you've been a lifelong Methodist and how this has been uh, really a lifelong battle for the church. I think a lot of times people our age will kind of feel like, oh, this just popped up out of nowhere. So what is kind of what has led the United Methodist Church to this point? Gosh, that's a uh, that's a, a, a big question. You know what led us to this point? And, and I don't know that there's a simple answer. You know, mm-hmm. I think um, um, a lot of times we get caught up into. Uh, the cultural change and, and we acquiesce to the culture, you know, we, we, uh, um, we lose sort of our sense of conviction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, we, a long time ago, sort of lost the primary um, emphasis on disciple making. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go back to 1850, you know, when uh, uh, the Methodist leaders, and this is um, something in a, a book I used for, by Alan Hirsch in, in our missional leadership class that you guys are familiar with, you know, where he talks about how it was 1850 when the Methodist uh, leaders were sort of tired of being considered to be uh, uncouth and uneducated uh, by other Protestant denominations in the country. And so that's when we began to require all of our circuit riders and our, our lay pastors had to go and get four years of education. You know, and then, and then just a, a 10 years after that, we stopped doing the bands and the classes, you know, and, mm. and we've not grown since. You know, I mean, at that point in time, when that started, one out of every three people in America were Methodist. Wow. Because of our evangelism and our zeal and our disciple-making intent that John Wesley was brilliant in uh, establishing a way to make disciples, not just to reach the masses. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I think we've lost that. You know, I don't think we, uh, most, uh, when I teach discipleship here at Lindsay Wilson, you know, the majority of students who take that class and come from uh, church background, grew up in the children's ministry, going to VBS, uh, youth group, retreats, mission trips, all that, will come to a conclusion, I've never been discipled. Wow. I don't really know what discipleship is. I didn't know what it was until mm-hmm. I took this class or something like that. And so I think that's the focus that we've lost. How do we make disciples? Mm. And um, uh, that's where we've got to get back to. And I'm not sure with uh, where we are today as an institution that we can make that kind of concerted uh, appeal and, and movement. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So another question that I have for you, Dr. Calhoun, being uh, p- part of Dr. Calhoun's past that you guys might not know is he's been a missionary to the Dominican Republic for many years. Uh, he's also pastored in rural settings and planted churches in urban settings. And so one of the models for uh, renewing the institution of the United Methodist Church that's been put forward is the contextualization model. Um, and so would you kind of speak to contextualization as, as you have experienced it versus what our denominational leaders are suggesting that it might be? Well, Taylor, I'm glad you made that distinction because what I'm reading about our contextualization plan is not what is meant by contextualization of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, the contextualization, to me, the contextualization plan is you know, contextualization is about culture, you know, and mm-hmm. we have different cultures, and we have to minister cross culturally. We have to learn to communicate the gospel in different cultures, whether it's in a, um, a slum in the Dominican Republic, or um, downtown in a metropolitan area or the suburbs or rural communities, wherever it is, mm-hmm. there are different cultures. We live in a multicultural universe for sure. And uh, we have to learn how to, to communicate the gospel, how to live out our faith, how to make disciples in a variety of cultures. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from the contextualization plan is not so much about cultural contextualization as it is about theological contextualization. Uh-huh. You know, let's just kind of uh, stay together and keep our name, uh, keep our the things that bind us together, um, but we won't have a real clear understanding of what we believe or what yeah. we're committed to. And so it's not mm-hmm. so much contextualization of culture, it's contextualization of theology. And that is not the kind of contextualization we need. The <clears throat> message doesn't change from one context to the next. Mm-hmm. The scripture, the truth of the Bible, doesn't change from one context to the next. But how we communicate it is what changes. Mm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, I think. Um, and it kind of it, it kind of makes me think of, um, you, know, you know, the phrase that, that we're to be in the world, not of it. Um, many of the early reformers, their problem was that uh, we were becoming... You know, the church at the time was becoming too far separated from the world, um, you know, was, you know, essentially hiding out from the world, withdrawing from the world. And um, I definitely think we see some areas of the church universal um, that are still like that today and still um, probably uh, withdrawing from the world in different ways. But it seems like um, part of our problem is um, becoming too much of the world. Um, and so, um, just could, could you speak to a moment, how, how do we walk that line, being in the world, um, not of it, or um, if there's another way you would phrase it, how, how do we um, be sensitive and be aware to the culture that's around us, be aware of, 
I mean, there, there are so many situations and um, uh, just differing personalities and belief systems and everything that we encounter in ministry today um, that we may not have in the past. And so how do we engage that effectively and be aware of those things um, without becoming um, syncretist, without, um, you know, just caving into the culture and just saying anything goes? Well, that's a, a perfect timing for this question because yesterday in contextual ministry class, we, <laughs> we actually were discussing this very thing, you know, how to be in the world but not of the world. And it is, it's, a, it's a tight line. I mean, it's, it's a challenge. In fact, it's not one I recommend you try to do alone. Mm. Uh, but instead, it needs to be together. It needs to be with, with people who share your conviction, who share your message, and, and you're committed to doing this mission together, uh, mm. not as lone wolves or lone rangers. Um, and I think, for the example, uh, going back to your not, in the world, not of the world, you know, the Apostle Paul said, you know, I've become all things to all people mm-hmm. so that I might by all means win some. But he won some. He didn't win all. Yeah. <laughs> Paul spent a significant amount of time behind bars a significant amount of time nursing wounds from being beaten. I mean, it wasn't cultural accommodation. Yeah. Uh, it was, let me let me share the gospel within this culture so that I might win some, but not everyone followed the message. And we, we can't expect to be uh, received any differently. You know, if we're going to hold to the distinctiveness of what it means to be Christian, um, then when we when we run into conflict and contrast with culture, um, we've got to stand our ground in a loving way, you know, and, and, and in a way that that gives testimony to the grace of God, you know, mm-hmm. to the to the kindness of God, uh, not in a combative way, you know, and that's that's kind of the other extreme is where we feel like that, right. you know, we're being attacked, so let's march around the courthouse, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and scream for our side. No, that's that's not it either. Um, but it's, it's, it's tough to stay in the world, but not of the world. But that's our call. And again, it's the message that stays the same. We have to find the right package for the same message. And that depends on the culture that we're in and the people we're trying to reach. I think going back to our, our Wesleyan tradition and, and how you mentioned that we've lost focus earlier, uh, I think it, it, at the core of Wesley's theology, serving a God of holy love kind of points to that that exact kind of um, struggle, you know, being holy and called out of the world, but at the same time loving and being in the world and having communion with the world. So do you think that part of the struggle that we're feeling has been a lack of emphasis on holiness? I think, yeah, I think um, a lot, not only a lack of emphasis, but a lack of understanding, you know, um, the whole idea of holiness sort of um, uh, was taken hostage, you know, uh, mm-hmm. through uh, different periods of American history where it became more about following the rules and outward appearance and, you know, things like that. Um, but you're right. With Wesley, it was holy love, mm-hmm. you know, that there's only room in your heart for one. Yeah. You know, and it's a totally committed, dedicated love. And that love for God translates into a holy, dedicated love for others. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've kind of lost that, you know, I think. And... Um, uh, regaining that sense of holiness and that sense of holy love is uh, paramount to us um, regaining our missional identity. Mm. And so, um, 
you know, just just uh, starting to close here. How how is this all um, affect? How how is this going to affect us as United Methodists? How how has it? How is it going to? How do how do you see that playing out as United Methodists and our mission in the world? Um, you know, what should we expect? That's a tough question because uh, you know it's a, a big ship that we're trying to steer, and um, you know I, I really don't know the the correct answer. Um, I, I can't imagine that we can con- we we can't continue like we are. You know, we can't institutionalize the division and say, hey, we're just gonna uh, be divided, and we're gonna have all these different uh, uh, theological approaches to what it means to be. Christian and what it means to be the church, but we're just going to call it something. You know, we're going to we're going to sort of ordain it, you know, mm-hmm. so that we all know we have it. It just now we're going to be open about it. That doesn't fix anything. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't heal any division at all. In fact, it'll make it worse. And we'll see an exodus from both sides. You know, uh, while there are many who uh, will hang on in the middle. You know, trying to hold on to the institution, hold on to yeah, you know, and and it's puzzling to me because the institution itself is only since 1968. I mean, this this doesn't go back to the days of Jesus. Okay, mm-hmm. this is not an apostolic thing in the third century. I mean, the United Methodist Church has been around since 1968, and we've never grown, not one single year, in wow. the United States. Now, worldwide, we're seeing incredible growth in Africa, the Philippines, other places. But here we have not. So I'm, I'm sometimes puzzled what we're trying to hold on to. Mm-hmm. You know, instead, what is what decision, what direction can best serve us for 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 being engaged in God's mission to the world, God's mm-hmm. redemptive mission to bring the hope of Jesus Christ to the world? I, I can't imagine that in 2019, with what we're hearing as being the, the possible solutions that we're going to sit down at a general conference and come up with something that works. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to continue the fight if we, you know, take some of those options and uh, we're just going to rename it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I don't think that works. I would love to see us sit down and say, okay, here are irreconcilable differences. You know, it's kind of like a marriage. There are times as a pastor, you know, you fight for people not to, go through a divorce and separation. You'd want them to stay together. But there came times and came points where there were just irreconcilable differences that were foundational to the marriage. Mm -hmm. And and, and so people make decisions to split. And you try to do it in a very civil, very peaceful, very loving way, despite your differences, for the sake of the kids, you know, for the sake of each other, you know, those kind of things. I think that's what we have to do as the United Methodist Church. You know, these are these are irreconcilable differences when it comes to the authority of Scripture, um, the 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 willingness to live into our covenant as United Methodist, and who Jesus is. You know, Jesus is the only way to salvation, and uh, the only way to the Father, and um, we have to we have to hold on to that. So I, I don't think there's an easy answer. I wish there were, but mm-hmm. uh, but it's not. But I don't want to be caught up in uh, just. I don't. I, you know, I'm 61. I don't have a, a great. Most of my life's been lived, and I don't want to spend the rest <laughs> of it trying to preserve an institution. 
Mm-hmm. You know, denominational survival to me uh, is not on God's agenda. That's what brought me to that decision 25 years ago to stop praying for renewal of the denomination. Instead, pray for the kingdom to come, even among those called Methodist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Um... Now, when you're on class, when I was talking about offering at the end of the lecture, are we, are we still holding that tradition? <laughs> well, I will say that we're both United Methodist pastors, uh, and so there's probably oh, not going to be a whole right. lot. Of <laughs> uh, Stu- to, student pastors. Yeah. Yeah, I'll okay. tell you what, I'll, I'll have my congregation take up a love offering, and I'll, I'll bring that next time I visit. Okay? Yeah, okay, great. Sounds good. Oh, man. Well, thank um, you guys for tuning in. Uh, thank you, Dr. Calhoun, for your time. And yeah, go read so his uh, article on our website. Um, which will be there? Is it already up, Matt? No, it's not up yet, um, but it'll be up soon. It'll 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 be up before this podcast airs. And so, um, uh, yeah, if you haven't read it already, check that article out. Um, check out Lindsey Wilson College, um, greatest place on earth. Our alma mater, which means other mother. Um, <laughs> man, it feels like coming home whenever I come here. It feels like I'm visiting Mama's house. Now, I um, think Doctor Calhoun might disagree with this being the great or the happiest place on earth, right? The happiest place on earth. Doesn't your hometown hold that? Well, it's the best town on earth. Best town, Madisonville, okay. Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. And we've got the sign to prove it. <laughs> if, if you don't believe. It. Okay. So, best town on earth, Madisonville, Kentucky. Best college on earth, Lindsey Wilson College, Columbia, Kentucky. Okay, we'll, we'll, I, I, I will go with that. Yeah, is that is that is that a good compromise? Sure, sure. Um, so yeah, it's been great being here. Been great talking with you, Dr. Calhoun. We appreciate your time. Um, as as uh, we pre- we prepare to um, sign off, Dr. Calhoun, would you mind uh, uh, leading us in a, in a prayer? Um, we will. And you know you've yeah. you've been telling us um, how you know really how we shouldn't pray and how we should pray. So um, you know I felt that would be appropriate. Um, I don't mean well, that in actually, a negative way. Actually, but. it wasn't my idea. The disciples came to Jesus one day. And they said, uh, Lord, teach us how to pray. And interestingly enough, he didn't say, hey, let's pray for renewal of those Pharisees. Uh, he didn't say, let's pray those Sadducees capture the vision of the resurrection. No, let's, let's pray the Essenes come back strong. No, none of that. He said, pray, thy kingdom come. So I'll, I'll lead that prayer, okay? Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thank you, God, for uh, these young leaders and uh, their passion, their conviction, their commitment, and their, their desire to serve you. And, and God, their desire to lead your people on your mission to this broken, hurting world. And I just pray you would raise up more and more uh, in this generation uh, to lead us forward, God, to um, show us the way. And it's just been a pleasure to be involved with uh, them and their journey, and I look forward to where you continue to take them. And for everyone who might be tuning into this, God, just thank you uh, that your kingdom has come. And it is now among us, and uh, you're calling us to be citizens of the kingdom, even in this earth. So we thank you, we praise you, we glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Uh, real quick, one more uh, plug for our social media. Our website is wokepastors.com. You can find us on Facebook. Our page is uh, Woke Pastors. Just search that, like us there. We're on Instagram and Twitter, at Woke Pastors. 
And for our merchandise shop, it's etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash woke pastors. But uh, from the relocated Copperhead Studios that's uh, on the road in Lindsey Wilson College today, um, just like to say to all of you tuning in, stay woke. Stay woke. Stay awakened. Wake up. <laughs> <laughs>